If you've got your Bibles, would you please open with me to Acts chapter 2? And if you don't have your Bible, just give a heads up to one of our ushers back there and they'll make sure you get one. Please open with me to Acts chapter 2. And let's go ahead and pray again. Lord, as we open your word, we ask for really, Lord, enlighten the eyes of our hearts because we want to see the truth of your word. Lord, we want it to pierce and penetrate our hearts. We want it to transform our minds. We want to become more like Jesus. Lord, we want every area of our lives to be affected and to be changed. And Lord, this morning, we thank you for the community that we are as a church. We pray that we would be the kind of community that you desire your church to be. Lord, an edifying community, a community that's a counterculture. Lord, help us to represent your culture and your kingdom and help us to build each other up and bring others into the faith. And we pray all that, Lord, form us into that community even this morning as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. For the past couple weeks, we've been doing a short series which is focused on our values here at Whitefield, some of our core values and who we believe that God has called us to be as a church and the things that he has called us to be about. And the title we've given this series is DNA, The Building Blocks of Life. And each week, we're taking one of our core values and we're studying what God's Word has to say about it and we're discussing what that looks like for us to live that out as a church. And the three core values we've been discussing are gospel, mission, and community. The first week, two weeks ago, we talked about gospel. Last week, we talked about mission. And this week, we will be talking about the topic of community. Now, of course, all three of these topics are very much connected. They're interwoven. And and truly, our desire is here at Whitefields that in our church, each of these three things would be very much interwoven and connected in everything that we do. So as we talk about community and who we are as a church, there's really no better place to start than in the book of Acts, especially in Acts chapter 2. And this is the place where we see God's vision for the kind of gospel-centered missional community that he created the church to be. This is a place where we read about how the church was born when the church came into existence. and, And here's where we learn about what it was designed to be. So if you have your Bible, please open to Acts chapter 2 and follow along with me. I'll be reading from verse 37. And just to give you a little context here on the front end, what's happening here is this. The Apostle Peter has just finished preaching his very first sermon, right? They're in the city of Jerusalem. It's packed full of people because there's the festival of Pentecost going on. People from all over the world have converged on the city of Jerusalem for this weekend. And Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, becomes bold and he steps out and he speaks to these crowds and he preaches to them about Jesus Christ. And here's what we read is the aftermath of that sermon. It says in verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. 
And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. This is God's word. Here in this section, there are three things we learn regarding this topic, this issue of community. Number one, the gospel creates community. That's the first thing we see. Number two, Christian community is an alternative society. And number three, Christian community is the vehicle for the mission of God. I'll say that again. Number one, Christian, or so the gospel creates community. Number two, Christian community is an alternative society. And number three, Christian community is the vehicle for the mission of God. Let's talk about that first one. The gospel creates community. Here at the end of Acts chapter two, we read about the aftermath of the first Christian sermon right? The aftermath of Peter's presentation of the gospel message which he preached to these crowds who were gathered for the festival of Pentecost in the city of Jerusalem and we read that when people heard this message of who Jesus was and what he had done they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. Why? If you read what Peter said and you can scan it for yourself but if you read what Peter said you're going to notice it wasn't a very long message that he preached. In fact, I would say it wasn't even the most eloquent message that's ever been preached. But here's the thing. The people who heard it were cut to the heart. And you know why? Because there is a spiritual power to the gospel message. You know that? There's a spiritual power to the gospel. Paul the Apostle, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. There is spiritual power behind this simple but profound message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, God, the message that God so loved you that he sent his son to die in your place that you might have new life. That you might be forgiven, that you might be made whole, that you might be made new, that you might be made right with God and have eternal life. And what did these people do? When they were cut to the heart, they asked, what shall we do? And Peter told them, repent, change direction. Whatever you've been doing, wherever you've been going, the, the way you've been living, change direction. Turn to Jesus and start following after him. And second, he said, be baptized. Take a public stand and confess your faith, your decision to walk with Jesus and follow Jesus. Now, not everybody in that crowd did that that day when Peter told them to, but a great number of them did. And on that day, 3,000 souls were added to the church. The church was born. 3,000 people became Christians. That morning, there had only been 120 of them. Now, suddenly, there are 3,000 of them. And it tells us about their response to the gospel, the effect that the gospel had on these people. And here's one of the most profound things that happened to them. They were together. That's what we read in verse 44. It says, they were together because the gospel creates community. You see this? They didn't just meet together. They were together. 
And where were they together? They were together everywhere. They didn't just meet in the temple. They met in each other's homes. And when did they meet together? We read they met constantly, regularly, relentlessly, every day, continuously. Here's what that means. The Christians came together every day in the temple for worship, but they couldn't get enough of being together. They couldn't get enough of it, and we'll talk about why that was. They went on from there and they met in each other's homes. They continued being together. You couldn't keep them apart. They were hungry for being together. The rest of everyday life for these people was seen now as an interruption to what they really wanted to be doing, which was being together in Christian fellowship. So being together, it wasn't something that they did, it's who they were. They were together. They didn't just come together, they were together. In other words, the effect of the gospel on these people was that they entered into a whole new mode of existence. They entered into a whole new mode of existence. Before, they had been apart. Before, they had been individuals. Now, they've been brought together. They've been made a community. And here's what's interesting about this. In every church around the world, uh, people are subjected, as you are, to pastors like me who are constantly badgering them and encouraging them to get involved in church, right? Get involved in the life of the church, show up every week, right? Attend meetings, get involved in a small group, attend the Bible studies. We don't see that in the book of Acts. No one had to tell these people to come to church. In fact, they couldn't stop them from coming to church. They couldn't stop them from meeting together as a community of believers. They wanted to. They couldn't get enough of it. See, they couldn't get enough of fellowship together and studying the apostles' doctrine and breaking bread together and praying together. The community that they had was a sign of the new life that they had received in Jesus. You know, you never have to tell a newborn baby to cry, right? If the baby's alive, the baby will cry. In the same way, you do not need to tell people who have found new life to come together. They do it naturally. It's a sign of life. You can't stop it, just like why the baby cries. I remember when I was a new believer, that was the case with me as well. I just wanted to be in around Christians all the time. I, uh, I was in church pretty much every time they opened the doors and I attended every meeting I could. And the reason was because I had new life, right? As a result, I wanted to be with God's people. I wanted to study the things of God. I wanted to worship God. And these early Christians, they didn't just go to church. They were the church. You see that? They didn't just attend church. They lived as the church. They didn't have a building. They just met. They were the church. They lived it out because the church is not a building. We all know that here, right? The church isn't a building that you go to and it's an identity that you have and an identity that you share in community with other people. But notice this, not only did these people who had received new life come together, but look at who these people were who came together. If you read in Acts chapter 2 around verse 5, it tells us that on this particular day, right, the city of Jerusalem, the world had converged on Jerusalem for this great festival of Pentecost that was going on in town. And as a result, there were people in Jerusalem, it says, from every nation under heaven. In that crowd, it says there were both Jew and Gentile, Parthians, Egyptians, Libyans, Arabs, Cretans, and Romans. And the point is, there was incredible diversity. The world had converged. There was incredible diversity. Every single kind of person, every kind of 
culture, and temperament was present. Every race, every class. They came from different countries. They had nothing in common, in other words. These people on an earthly level had nothing in common. They were different countries, different languages, different skin colors, different customs. Some were rich, some were poor, some were young, and some were old. They came from widely different backgrounds, but yet these are the people, these people who in the morning were so different, had nothing in common. These people immediately are in each other's homes every night. Overnight, they become closer than family because that's what the gospel does. The gospel creates community, and here's why. The Bible tells us that sin destroys community. Sin destroys community on the, on the micro level and on the macro level, right? You can follow the trend throughout the Bible. Sin destroys community. It causes separation. It separates us from God, and it separates us from each other. In creation, God created one people, but over time, those people were fragmented. They were divided, and the root cause of those divisions was sin. Even if you look at the, the division of the languages that happened at Babel, right? What was the reason of that? It was sin. It was presumption. Marital conflict, conflict between siblings, conflicts between classes and races, distrust, disunity, it all filters down to sin. It, that's the root cause of it in one form or another. You see, we were created for community. It's part of God's design for us in creation. One of the most profound statements in the Bible, one that you can spend so long unpacking, it is this statement in Genesis chapter 1 where it says that God created us in his own image. God created us in his own image. There's so much that that means, but here's one part of what it means to be created in the image of God. It means that God created us for community. Because God himself, as a trinity, has existed from eternity past as a community, as a loving edifying, encouraging, mutually glorifying community. He, he is one God in three persons. And throughout scripture we read, you know, interesting things like God says, let us create man in our image. God is a trinity. He, he's existed eternally in community and he created us in his image, which means that we are created for community and we are incomplete apart from community. We were made to know him and we were made to live knowing and being known by other people. But the gospel is the message, of course, of how God has removed that from us which destroys community, right? God has removed from us in Jesus Christ, God has removed our sin. That which separated us from him, that which separates us from each other, God has removed it in Jesus Christ. In other words, not only does Jesus' death on the cross reconcile us to God, but it also reconciles us to each other. That's part of what we celebrate when we celebrate communion every week. We are remembering Jesus' body broken for us, his blood shed for us on the cross, but part of that is that we are celebrating that in him we who were separate have become one. We have become his body because his body was broken for us. And we do this event as a community, week in and week out. We are drinking the same cup. We are eating the same bread in remembrance of our shared identity in him. 
So I would encourage you also to think about this. In the areas of your life where there's division, if there's tension in your marriage, if there's a conflict with another person, here's what you need to do. You need to bring the gospel into that situation. You need to bring the gospel into that situation. You need to consider again what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. And you need to praise him for it. You need to consider the love of God for you that reached out, for, out to you when you didn't deserve it. He reached out to you and he sacrificed himself for you. And he embraced you. And he forgave you. And he redeemed you. You can't honestly praise God for his love for you and still hold on to bitterness in your heart towards someone else. It's completely incompatible. You can't honestly praise God for forgiving you, for his forgiveness of you, and yet hold on to unforgiveness towards another person. Where there's tension and strife and division in your life, you need to bring the gospel into that situation because sin is what destroys community. And the gospel is what builds community because the gospel removes that which, causes, which destroys community. Why one of the new signs that someone has the new life is that the walls of division are broke down. Whether they're class walls or race walls, they're brought into a new community with God and with other people. So let's also talk about what kind of community God has designed us to be. So the gospel creates community, but what kind of community? Christian community is an alternative society. Notice the, the kind of community that was immediately formed here in the book of Acts. It says in verse 44, all who believed were together and they had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now some people have, have taken this as a, as a kind of Christian communism or tried to recreate it through living in uh, Christian communes. But here's the point that I want you to see here. The kind of community that was formed by these people who were so radically changed by the gospel, it was an alternative society. It was a community within their city which represented a different society. A society which functioned on different principles than the rest of the world around them. This is what it means to be the body of Christ. This is what we are called to be as the body of Christ, an alternative city within every human city, an alternative society within every community that functions on different principles, that has different values than the society around us, and an alternative society in every city that functions on the principles and culture of the kingdom of God. That's what these guys were. They formed this society where instead of being greedy and self-seeking, where instead of holding on and hoarding what they had, they became generous, like God is generous, right? They became people who gave up what they had to help other people. They became generous, like God is generous. They became a people who forgave, like God forgave them. They became a people on a mission, as God was a God on a mission of salvation and redemption. His mission became their mission. In other words, they took on a new culture. And that's what the church must be. It must be a counterculture within the mainstream culture that shows how life was meant to be lived. Here in America, our, our mainstream culture is that we place so much emphasis on individualism. 
I don't know if you've ever had the chance to step outside of American culture and look at it from the outside, but here's my takeaway from having spent so much time away, is that American culture puts so much emphasis on individualism. Uh, recently, someone asked me, you know, what is your take? What is your take on the tone of Longmont? My take on Longmont and the, this whole area is this. It's a radical individualism, radical sense of independence, right? And, and that's generally true, especially in the American West. It's generally true here, too. The, the prevailing view of life in America is that we are all individuals standing on our own, with no ties, right? We're, we're each a lone ranger out there doing our own thing. And, and we might align ourselves to someone or some group of people for a time, but we're careful that our identity would not be caught up with that group because we are careful to make sure that we remain individuals, right? And here in America, individualism and independence are viewed as the supreme virtues. And we even pursue independence and individualism at the expense of other virtues, such as loyalty and camaraderie and friendship, right? And here's the thing that I hope you see. We have brought our emphasis on individualism, this cultural emphasis we have, we've brought it into our faith. And it does very much affect how we read the Bible and how we relate to God, how we think of God. For example, in American Christianity, we talk a lot about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You have a personal walk with God. We talk about God's plan for you individually, and we place so much emphasis on that. Are those things wrong? No. But we highlight those things so much, and we downplay, I believe, other things that God's word has to say about just as important. In fact, he probably even talks about them more. More, God's word has to say, about living out our faith life, our life of faith in community with other people, in the body of Christ, in the people of God. And uh, even for our, his plans for our lives individually, the Bible actually talks a lot about his plans for our lives corporately. You guys ever think about Jeremiah 29 verse 11? I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Well, that's actually in the plural. I don't know if you know that. It's in the plural. That you, that's the hard part about English, right? We've got you means you and you means y'all. So maybe we need to come up with a Bible translation like that. I know the plans I have for y'all, which is a word I really try to avoid. But anyway, let's just put it that way. If you read it, read it that way because that's what the original language says. If you speak a foreign language, you'll notice that's the, how it's written there. I know the plans I have for all y'all, right? <laughs> plans to give all y'all a future and a hope, right? In other words, we place so much emphasis on individualism to the detriment, to the downplaying of other virtues which the Bible says are very important. Loyalty, camaraderie, fellowship, and even his plans for us as a community. But here's the thing we need to understand. To be a Christian by definition, by definition, is to be a part of the people of God, the community of God's people that he is creating, that he is building for his purposes. At the heart of God's plan of salvation is not just a bunch of disconnected individuals, but it is a nation and a family, and that runs throughout the Bible. Sinclair Ferguson, he put it this way. We are not saved 
individually and then choose to join the church as if it were some club or support group. Christ died for his people and we are saved when by faith we become part of the people for whom Christ died. The story of the Bible is the story of God fulfilling his promise. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. This is the point that Paul the Apostle made in Ephesians chapter 2 where he says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The idea is this, you used to be on your own, you used to be doing your own thing, but God has brought you into community, into the family of God. You're no longer this detached individual, but now you are part of this community, this family of those who are being redeemed. First Peter chapter 2, it says this, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He's saying this, you are not just an isolated individual. You are part of this new nation, this people that God is building from every tribe, tongue, and nation. In other words, this is the, this is the point. God is saving people out of individualism and out of just doing their own thing. And he's making them part of the thing that he's doing. He's making them part of his thing. Making them part of the community that he is building. And you know what, Americans, we are so into being independent, we're so into being individualistic, but you know what the result of that is? It is a pervasive loneliness. You know that studies have shown that Americans are some of the most lonely people in the world. We've gotten our wish, in other words. We, we wanted to do our own thing and have people leave us alone and leave us be, and where has that gotten us? It's gotten us lonely. It's gotten us isolated. And here's the point. God has something so much better for you than rugged individualism and doing your own thing. He has a much better thing for you than that. He's calling you to join in his thing. Do what he's doing. He's calling you to be part of his plan and his purpose, to be part of the community that he's building, the people, the nation, that alternative society that functions according to the culture of the kingdom of God, that society which is meant to be a lighthouse for the nation. And this is what we desire to be at Whitefields. As we talk about who we are as a church, this is who we want to be. We want to be an alternative society, a community within the city where the culture of the kingdom of God can be found. A place where truth is spoken, a place where there's hope and grace, a place where the things that God cares about are the things that we care about and we lift them up and strengthen them. Children and families and marriages and all these things. Where true fellowship happens, where love is is present where there is compassion where God's will is done where Jesus's name is lifted up and glorified here's what another theologian Tim Chester had to say about the church he said this the church then is not something additional or optional it is at the very heart of God's purposes Jesus came to create a people who would model what it means to live under his rule it would be a glorious outpost of the kingdom of God, an embassy of heaven. This is where the world can see what it means to be truly human. Our identity as human beings is found in community. 
Our identity as Christians is found in Christ's new community. And our mission takes place through that community. That brings us to our third point. Christian community is the vehicle for the mission of God. We read that there were four things that these early Christians did relentlessly all the time. Whenever they would gather together, they devoted themselves to fellowship to fellowship, to being together and, and loving each other and encouraging each other. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. This would be the teachings of the apostles which they received directly from Jesus Christ, which is what we have as the New Testament. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And that's not just eating in general. That is the breaking of bread. That is remembering Jesus through this common meal of communion. And they devoted themselves to prayer. Four simple and profound practices powerful practices and they were devoted to them and they took part in them relentlessly and continuously and it says that day by day they were praising God and as a result of everything that they were doing they had favor with all the people and God added to their numbers daily see here's the thing I believe in church I do, I believe in it very much. And, and I believe that you should believe in church too. Because here's what we see in the Bible. The church is something that Jesus himself established. Jesus loves his church, he died for his church. He calls the church his bride. He calls the church his own body. He loves it. God ordained the church, he created the church to be his vehicle for his work on earth for the vehicle for the furtherance of his mission here on earth. The, the church is the place where the gospel is preached. The church is the place where discipleship happens. The church is the local headquarters and the vehicle for the mission of God where people are trained, where people are sent out into God's mission, into all of their spheres of influence. As you read through the book of Acts, what you'll see is that as Christianity grew and expanded everywhere they went, they established churches, right? Whenever they'd come into a new town or a new region, they would preach the gospel and immediately they would start a church and they would get people plugged in. And in that church, they would be devoted to these four things, to fellowship, to the apostles' doctrine, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That would be the place where new believers would come in and get plugged in and grow in their faith. And as those believers grew, that church would become mission headquarters for reaching that area with the gospel, for bringing more and more people from that community into this new community that God was building. It would be the lighthouse for that place that shined the, the light of God's glory and God's goodness. It represented him there in that place. So we see this is the model for mission, church, locally and internationally. And that's something we believe here at Whitefields and in, in our international uh, missions efforts, we like to partner with local churches who are doing things. You know, we, we, um, before I even came here, Whitefields was supporting this ministry in Agar, which was a local church that was doing mission work. We, we're interested in supporting this guy in Ukraine, a local church that's reaching out to their community because we believe in church. We want to see not only people evangelized, we want to see them brought in and discipled, raised up so that they can step into ministry as well. But not only do we love church, not only do we believe in church, but we want to make sure that church is done the way God designed it to be done. We want to follow this model here in Acts chapter 2. 
Our vision for Whitefields is that we would be people on mission with God, a missional community, that our church would not just be a once a week gathering, but that we would be a true and vibrant community that's active throughout the week, uh, gathering in each other's homes, being in touch, praying for each other. One of the things we have to help this is this website called The City. You know, maybe you're like, I don't get what the whole point of this is. Well, here's the point. Here's the big vision behind it. It is a way that we can keep in fellowship throughout the week. People share prayer requests on there. They share their victories, their struggles. It's an online forum for us to keep in community that's available all the time. It's also why we're excited about community groups. We really want to see everybody engaged in our community groups. We want to see them flourish. We want to see new ones start. We want to see them packed out because we need community. That's the point of what we're seeing here in God's word. We were made for community. We are saved unto a community. We grow in community. We do outreach and discipleship through community. We are strengthened and we are spurred on in our faith in community. Once again, notice that it says that as they did these things, as they were living in this vibrant community, this alternative culture within their city where they studied and worshipped and loved each other, it says people were added to their numbers every day. Because even though these people had this great fellowship with each other, this rich fellowship with each other, they did not become introspective. They did not become an introspective community. They were always an outward focused. They were always a missional community reaching out to those around them. It was part of their DNA. They would get together, they'd be in fellowship, they'd study, they'd pray, and they'd remember Jesus through communion, and then they would go out into the world on mission with God. They would preach the gospel. And that's what happens when you have this kind of community, right? Like the one described here, where iron sharpens iron and we sharpen each other. We spur each other on to faith and good works. We stir each other up. That's why we need community. Because the fact is that most of us will become like the people that we spend the most time with. You know, that you will most likely become just like the people that you spend time with. If you're spending time with, uh, with people who are excited about the things of God, who are spurring you on towards righteousness and excited about the things of God and the mission of God, well, guess what? You'll become more and more like that. But if you spend time with people who are interested in other things, you tend to become more like them. We need community and we need community of the right kind. But I'll finish with this. You know why these people in Acts couldn't get enough of meeting together? I said I would talk about this, right? Why was it that they were just could not get enough of each other. They were just hungry to meet together. Why did they want to meet together all the time? You you know why? Because they couldn't stop talking about Jesus, right? They couldn't. Why? Why couldn't they? Because they had to get the joy out, right? They were always going from there and talking to other people, bringing new people into the community. They couldn't stop, and here's why. They had to get the joy out. You have to get the joy out. C.S. Lewis put it this way, we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise does not merely express the enjoyment, but it completes it. Delight is is incomplete until it is expressed. Think about that. And he he goes on in that section to say, lovers, they always compliment each other, not just for the sake of complimenting each other, but because it makes their enjoyment of each other complete when they express it 
right? When you find a piece of music that moves you, what do you do? You grab somebody and you say, listen to this. You have to hear this. It's amazing. When you see something that amazes you, it stirs you. Even in sports, you see Peyton Manning throw seven touchdowns in one game against the Baltimore Ravens and you tell people, you have to check this out. You have to see this. Look, listen. You have to because you know why? When there's something beautiful, it causes you to have joy, right? We have joy. That's part of what we were created to be. When we see something good, when we see something beautiful, we, we have to express the joy that we find in it. We have to get it out because that joy is incomplete until it has gotten out of us, until it's been shared with someone else, until that other person has looked upon that thing and said, yeah, you're right, that is amazing. That's what we do when we get together as Christians. That's why these guys could not get enough of meeting together. That's why we have to get together and be in community. Because when we meet for fellowship with other believers, what we're doing is we're getting together with people who see the same beauty that we see. And we're sharing in the enjoyment of what our hearts find to be the most beautiful thing in the world. To be immeasurably beautiful. That's why I always, I'm always stretching, right? I'm always straining and reaching to find better illustrations and better adjectives to use because I need to get the joy out. You know that? I need to because I see something beautiful and I want to show it to you so that you can, so that I can say, look at this, so that our joy can be complete. The same reason that you pull up a photo on your phone or, or you play a, a video or a piece of music and you tell people, listen to this, you have to see this, it's amazing, it's beautiful because the more beautiful an object is, the more joy it causes to surge within you and it has to get out. And the better you can praise that beautiful thing, the more joy you have in it. Jesus, he's the greatest object of beauty this world has ever known. Right, The love of God towards us, the way that he loves us, it's the most beautiful, moving thing the world has ever known. And so we gather together week in and week out throughout the week to express our joy in him. Why? So our joy can be complete. And as you share your joy with me and I share my joy with you, we are stirred up, right? Our joy increases because I see the beauty that you see and you see the beauty that I see and I'm spurred on and I'm built up. And just spirals up. The reason we evangelize, it's because we have to get the joy out. We can't not talk about it, right? You know, people will say things like, you know, it's nice for you to believe in Jesus if that's what you're into, but you don't got to go around talking about it all the time. What are you talking about? It's not just nice, right? It's not nice. It's the most beautiful thing that this world has ever seen. He is the absolute beauty. He is supreme. I can't just hold that in. I can't just express that delight once a week. I can't just express my joy in him by myself, in my kitchen, doing my morning devotions. I have to share it. I have to share it here in the community of believers. I have to share it with people who don't know it yet. We have to share what we've seen, what we've learned, what he's done in our lives. Otherwise, our joy is incomplete. That's what community is all about. That's what Christian community is all about. You know, it says here that they were devoted to fellowship. Are you devoted to fellowship? Ask yourself that. Are you devoted to the apostles' doctrine? Are you devoted to breaking bread in community, remembering Jesus in the practice of communion, celebrating him together? Are you devoted to prayer? 
That's the kind of fellowship we want to be here at Whitefields. That's the kind of community that we want to be. We want to be one that is devoted to those things that's fervently seeking after, that kind of community. We need community. We, we were made for community. We were saved unto a community, and we grow in community. We do outreach and discipleship through community, and we're strengthened and spurred on in our faith in community. And my prayer is that we might be that kind of community here at Whitefields. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are for us, for what you've done, and we thank you that we have the opportunity to gather and get the joy out and let it out, Lord. And thank you that as we spur each other on, Lord, that joy can just spiral up. Lord, we thank you that as we take communion now, we get to do it as one people, as one body. We thank you for the community that you've saved us unto. You've made us part of that body for which you died, which you are, are coming to redeem. And Lord, as we do this, I pray that as we take communion, as we pray, as we sing these songs together in one accord, Lord, may it just be an expression and the fulfillment, the completion of the joy that we have in you. And Lord, we ask that you would cause that joy to well up within us. And we pray all that in Jesus' name. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for who you've made us and who you are making us. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen.